memory verse tonight, 1 Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things are at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. 1 Peter 4, 7. I, sober almost got me again. Because the King James says sober. It just threw my brain, right? When you get to that, it's like a speed bump. Anybody else? 1 Peter 4, 7. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. 1 Peter 4, 7. Good job. Anybody else? That was a King James version. That was the correct version. The correct version. You can call it that. Huh? I know. That's what I mean. Is that's what I was trying to tell you. That my brain has already been stuck on sober. So when I'm trying to remember serious, it throws my brain because I feel like I'm leaving something out. And so, but if I say uh, the end of all things is at hand, be sober and serious, or therefore be sober and be serious in your prayers, then it sounds like I've got two different versions going on. And then somebody says, you got that verse wrong. We'll get into it. Somebody else. Anybody else know it? Not now. You done just twisted it all up. First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. First Peter 4, 7. Good job, Mike. Anybody else want to try? You can even read it if you want. It's totally up to you. No pressure. At the end of all things is at hand. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. First Peter 4, 7. Good job. First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. First Peter 4, 7. Good job. <clears throat> Anybody else? First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. First Peter four seven. I was confusing that. Good job. I might have been five seven. Four seven. Anybody else? First Peter four seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. First Peter four seven. Good job. Anybody else? Therefore, I'm You're fine. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. First Peter 4 7. Good job. Well, there's a note somewhere. Notice there's a but there. So, He's been talking about something. Let's get a little bit of context. If I can find any notes. I don't know if I got. If I forgot them, I'd be lost without notes, right? Well, there is a context. And I, and I don't know how far to go back. That's part of what's going on here. I want to go back probably. Let's just start with chapter or verse 1. Let's just start where they, they divided off. And we'll just start, start there. I, of course, there's a therefore, and anytime there's a therefore, you need to look back what it's there for. So we're already talking about suffering. We're already talking about preaching. I'm not going to go all the way back up there. I'm just going to start right here. Uh, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, he became flesh, and he suffered for us, arm yourselves also 
with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now listen, don't let that freak you out. Uh, because this will freak some people out. Oh, he ceased from sins. We already know that everybody that has the flesh with them, we're still going to sin. I mean, we're, but we're not practicing sin. The power of sin has been removed because of this. That's really what it's referring to, that this is not the focus. You can't, you go, when you go through suffering, when you go through trials, when you go through hardships, you begin to cry out to God, and you do not sin the same way anymore once you come to know Jesus. And so the ceases, you cease to practice. You cease to wallow in it. You cease to live in it. It's not talking about, because it would be uh, um, obviously really contradiction if we would say, wait a minute, you're without sin? You cease from sin because you suffered once? See, it's just not what he's saying right here. So be very careful with that. But what I want to do first before we actually tackle all the way down, and I want to move as quick as possible to get to our memory verse, because that's what we want to talk about. Uh, since Christ suffered for us, what should we do? Look, he suffered in the flesh. He, God became uh, man, 100% man, 100% God. Don't completely know how it works, but I like it. He says, arm yourself. What? Listen, because there's crazy talk about Second Amendment rights and everything right now. This is a military term about arming yourself. But it, it does, it means to equip with weapons. I mean, that's literally what it means. But listen, we're looking at Christ. We're looking at his example. We're not arming ourselves with physical weapons. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a gun. I'm saying that's not what he's talking about here. In fact, let's go over to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3, or excuse me, 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Many of you guys have memorized this with us. We memorize these verses. We understand these verses. Uh, you know, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God. Listen, so we want to understand what is our weapons? What are we arming ourselves with? It's always going to be with truth. It's going to be with Christ. Christ is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We arm ourselves with the knowledge of the truth. Now, go over here. This is sometimes being called the Christian's fight song because this is really important to know in 2 Corinthians 10.3. He says, Paul again speaking, or excuse me, Peter in our other text, Paul now speaking. For though we walk, that's how we're living. It's all your general walk. It's peripateo. It's your, your normal walk in the flesh. We are flesh, right? But we don't regard anybody as flesh and blood anymore because we know that we're spirits in a body of flesh. We do not war according to fleshly things. And then he says in 10.4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Again, it's the word flesh. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God. Where are they at? They're in God, just like we're in Christ. All right? The Bible, uh, Jesus said that I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no way to win the war unless you come to Christ and you're in Christ. And Christ is in you. Uh, so they're mighty in God. 
powerful, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, strongholds are 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 are, are deeply entrenched, habitual sin uh, uh, situations. Some people call them addictions. I call them habitual lifestyle situations where you begin to do something and then it takes control of you. Now, the world in psychology or in addiction, they call it addiction and things of that nature. But we understand it as sin. But sin, you can choose to sin and then you choose to suffer. That's not to suffer that Christ, Christ suffered in the body and suffered for our sin, but he didn't suffer for his sin. But anyway, so it pulls down these prisons, these tombs, these strongholds. What is it somebody said? Um, if you give Satan a toehold, he'll give a foothold. What is that statement? Didn't we do that once before? There's a statement like that. If you, he gets you in, a, if he has a toehold, you don't remember it either. I don't remember it either. I'm sorry. I didn't want to. I shouldn't even bring it up. I don't remember it. Um, toehold, foothold, and a stronghold. That's what it is. I think. It'd be the toehold. You let him in a little bit, then if he gets a foothold, and then it becomes a stronghold in your life. And so you can choose it, but then it takes over in your life. So it's a stronghold. That's, this is what the, the weapons of our warfare are, and they're in God. It's truth himself. It's Christ himself. Even in, even in Ephesians 6, when you're putting on the armor of God, everything starts with the belt of truth. And since we know truth, we know that we have the breastplate of righteousness because he gave us his righteousness. And then because he gave us his righteousness, we begin to put on the boots or the shoes of peace. And go and tell other people that there's peace with God through Christ. And then we do it all by taking up the shield of faith, where which will be able to quench all the fiery darts, the lies of the wicked one. See, because the enemy fights with the lies, but we want to know the truth. So our weapons are in truth. When you know the truth, you don't fall for the lie. Here's the amazing thing, and we'll finish the armor. Here's the amazing thing I was thinking about. I was like, oh my goodness, that's, that's crazy. Now, you can correct me later if you don't like it, but I'm going to throw it out and you can throw it out. When Christ came, he was truth incarnate. So as he's warring and he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted, he knows perfect truth, led by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he, goes, he, he gets baptized by John and then led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and it's judged. And so he's full of truth. And then he's got the spirit without measure, right? So he can fight the battle against the lie. He knows that that was as if you are the son of God. Well, he knows who he is. He knows that he was born of a virgin. He knows he's God in the flesh. So he knows perfect truth. And he's listening to the Holy Spirit perfectly. You and I, we get saved. And we're like, wow, Jesus is truth. And now we have to begin to, in a sense, be deprogrammed and learn what truth is from a lie. Recognize the truth from a lie, and it's called sanctification. And we're growing in truth, but now we have to listen to the Holy Spirit and be able to have obedience to apply truth to each situation. See, Jesus had that because he didn't have the sin nature from Adam. So he, could, he was fully truth. He was fully God. He was full of the Spirit without measure, and he could obey that. But he was tempted in every way. So now you and I, when we're tempted, God's training us to apply truth by the power of the Holy Spirit to that situation. And then you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
That's how it works when you learn truth. If you continue to believe lies, you go to a church that's preaching lies, you listen to a watered-down apostate doctrine, you're fighting fire with fire, and it's never going to go out because you're throwing the devil's lies at a lie. And all it does is the fire gets bigger and bigger. Instead of going out, you give up hope, you walk away. So what we want to do is to understand that the shield of faith, by faith we appropriate the truth, the righteousness, the peace, and we go out with the sword of the Spirit, which, or we put on the helmet of salvation, deliverance from the lie, and then we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and then we learn to pray and trust God. That's what that Ephesians 6 is. Those are the weapons, and it's all Christ. Every single piece of it is just putting on the truth of who Christ is. He's truth incarnate. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. So when you look at him and learn what he did and follow his example, we're being trained, we're being sanctified, we're being washed and cleansed so that we can do the same thing. And that's the weapons, that's the warfare, that's what tears down a stronghold. There's no power over you anymore. The sin has been paid for. Death has been defeated. And now you can fix your eyes on Jesus and walk forward. You don't have to look back and believe the dog is still chasing you. He's not. He's dead. And then you just leave him in the grave. And so these weapons, they're for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, uh, 10, 5 of 2 Corinthians, casting down arguments, casting down, um, what is it in the King James? Speculation. Oh, imaginations. Yeah. Casting down imaginations. I'm looking for the word. I know I got it written here somewhere, but I knew it wasn't arguments. It's imaginations. Um, so the casting down is not just like, oh, I'm casting my fishing pole. This is to lower with violence so that it's demolished. It's like raising a building. It's lowering. There's no more house that can defeat you if you listen to the lie or if you listen to the truth. You can tear down Satan's house. It's destroyed by the truth of Christ. And it's imagination. Because think about that for a minute. Think about everything you can imagine. Arguments are imaginations. Think about all of artificial intelligence. Think about everything that you're hearing about. Think, think about the person that thinks that they're smart because they listened to one sermon and now they can repeat it. Think about that just for a moment because that is not suffering with Christ and ceasing from sin because you understand what's going on. You have to go through some experience. Knowledge just puffs up. I read the Bible and you can puff up in knowledge because I know the word. You have to go through some stuff. That's why the aged and the elderly are training the younger because the younger ain't went through nothing yet. But you put them in a college and you teach them all this stuff and they come out puffed up thinking they know something and then they get crushed. Because they're not listening to Christ. And they're not following the elders. They're not looking at the ancient past. And that's how the church ends up in such destruction. Because we're raising up people just because they have a degree. Instead of having the spirit of God. Knowing the word of God. And went through some stuff. Because you have to go through some stuff. In order to understand by faith that you can trust God through it. If you don't go through nothing, you never trust God. you got to get to the other side. Peter had to sink in order to know, help me, Lord, in order to know where to cry out at. He had to sink and know that the Lord put him right back in the boat and that he was safe in the beloved. You have to learn some things. Lazarus had to get up and walk out of the grave and hear the voice of God and obey the voice of God or he never could have had people help him and unwrap his grave clothes. He would have stayed in his grave. 
And many Christians do. They stay in the grave, weeping like Mary Magdalene at the grave, going, where have you put the Lord's body? We're the body of Christ. We need to know these answers. And that's why we need to be in the word prayer and fellowship. We need to understand we're not arming ourselves and getting out in this political uh, battle. We're not arming ourselves and getting out in this fight for America. We're fighting for souls, which is much greater. America can burn, not being, not being mean, and souls can still be saved. Kingdoms have risen and fallen, but souls are still being saved and the will of God is being done. But when we get involved in this physical battle, and that's all we're worried about, we're dividing. Even the church, worse than it's already divided, by arguing about things. Somebody today was saying, well, we had a president that was the Antichrist. And I said, well, I think they're all Antichrist, basically, the spirit of Antichrist. And I said, I don't think Trump was anywhere. So I wasn't talking about Trump. I was talking about Obama. And I go, well, they're just as bad. I said, but do you think that really, when you look at these men, do you know that, that Hitler, that, that the Antichrist is going to make Hitler look like a choir girl? Do you really understand these men making little laws and policy and fighting over some dollar bills? Do you really think that they are going to be like the Antichrist? They're just stirring people up in the flesh to get us all divided so they can come in and go, I'll save you, and then here's an Antichrist to save us. Listen. The Antichrist is going to make Hitler look like a choir girl. This is not going to, I mean, it's not going to be that simple. There's going to be some serious suffering going on. That's why we need to understand this text, that the end of all things are at hand. And think about it, he wrote this 2,000 years ago. But they lived in the imminency of Christ returning. They lived in the imminency of knowing that any moment God could come because our, hand, or our times are in his hand. We don't know when we're going to stop breathing. You might stop breathing tonight. Christ might not come for another 100 years. Now, I think he's coming in the next 30, but that's my opinion. It means nothing. It's like an armpit. It stinks most of the time. We all got armpits. But listen to me. We should be living in the imminency of Christ's coming, knowing and thinking that he's coming. And the question should be, if, he's, if I thought he was coming tomorrow, what would I do differently? And the answer should be absolutely nothing. I'm already doing it. I'm already involved in it. I'm already waiting, watching, working. I'm already surrendering. I'm already confessing. I'm already trying to learn and go out and be a witness. Those are the things that we should be doing. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God. We're pulling down strongholds. Casting down imaginations. Think, think of everything that you can imagine. That's really something that's really quite amazing. When you think about all the imaginations. And, 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 and Well, I think that, you know, well, the Bible says, but I think God will overlook. That's your imagination. But I feel like, you know, if I was to. That's your imagination. That's some silly argument yourself is making against the truth of God. And that is something that is carnal. That's something that is flesh. Your imagination of what the schools have taught you and what you think you know and all the education you've had, all of that, if it comes up and it does not line up with truth, is an argument against the God of the universe. You do not want to be in that argument. You will lose. 
if you are arguing against God, well, I don't know whether I am right because you've got to learn the Word of God. But you do not want to be found fighting against God. Believe me, you do not want to do that. And the enemy leads us to do that. Isn't that what he did with Eve? Did God really say, well, I've got an imagination here. Maybe I'll just think of something else to do. I've got a pretty good imagination. I've got a pretty good argument. Listen, I didn't ask you to be born God. I've got a pretty good imagination. Maybe he won't if I just say, listen, all that stuff doesn't work. But truth sets you free. Truth will set you free. And wait a minute, there's more though. Not just imaginations, but every high, every rebellious, every prideful, every selfish, every I will thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. See, the knowledge of God. Now listen, I'm just going to just quickly, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. What does the son of lawlessness do? He exalts itself against God. That teaser all together. That 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. I'll just read it for you. You don't have to turn it there. Let me just read it really quick for you. Uh, let's read 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, the apostasy, we just sang about it, comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. That's something that exalts a high thing, isn't it? Against the knowledge of God. Now listen to me, because the knowledge of God is the gnoskos. It's not just knowing, but it's experiencing. We just talked about this. You, you, you have to experience something. Think about Moses. 40 years. I mean, he was supposed to be put away. He was supposed to be killed. We're reading about it now in, in Exodus. He was supposed to be killed. But, but Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh means great house, Pharaoh's daughter comes down and gets him and raises him, or lets his mom raise him first. That was amazing. I'm like, oh my goodness, every time I read this, the wisdom of God. He was supposed to be killed. Think about that. And his mom won't put him away because he's a beautiful baby and she wants to obey God. So then she he starts crying because he's a very healthy baby. And so she goes, what am I going to do? They're going to kill him if they hear him cry. So she puts him in a little ark covered in pitch puts him in the Nile, and God just supernaturally brings Pharaoh's daughter down and says, what is that in the, the reeds over there? Could you go get that sort of girl? Brings it out. Here's a baby. And she goes, wow. And there's a sister. We know. We find out later her name was Miriam, their rebellion, watching and says, hey, I can get you a maid to take care of her. Okay, get me one of the Hebrew women. And goes and gets her mom to take care of her brother. I'm just like, Ah, uh, it blows your brain because Moses means one drawn out. So now you got Israel. Never mind. Never mind. I'm not even going to go there. Don't go there. You'll you'll get lost in it. But but look at who the characters are. Drawing out their rebellion. So anyway, what was my point? Moses, forty years raised, taught by all the best teachers in in, in Pharaoh's house. He learned to fight. He learned, he learned science. He learned everything. He was trained in everything. And 40 years, and he knew what he was called to do. And he said, yeah. what's that Hebrew doing? Or what's that Egyptian down there doing? Punishing one of them Hebrews. And he went down and killed the Egyptian. Right? The next day, he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he says, 
well, I know I'm called to deliver these people, so I'm going to go down. And he goes, what are you going to do, kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And everybody knew. He couldn't hide it. His sin was out. He was a murderer. So what did he do? He fled to Midian. To Ruel. I love Ruel. I had a buddy in prison. His, his nickname was Ruru. And we learned that it was friend. But Ruel means friend of God. See, that's a better than just being a friend. I'll be your friend, but wait a minute, friend of God. That's what Ruel meant. And so he flees to the priest of Midian, who is Ruel. And he's dressed like an Egyptian. So they see him coming. You go, an Egyptian helped us get the flocks watered. And then he ends up staying there. Well, go get him. Bring him back in here. Invite him in your house. And then he's there, right? 40 more years. See, he was going to do it in the flesh. He was doing it in his own strength. He couldn't hide one Egyptian in the sand. But then when he comes and he goes through some stuff, at 80, God calls him with a burning bush, his own burning bush there. And the bush is not consumed. Because God is a consuming fire. But he, does, he only consumes your flesh. Unless you wait for judgment, then he's going to consume all of you in hell fire forever. So he goes there, and, and now God has brought him through some stuff. And what's he doing? He's like, no, here I am. Send Aaron. I don't want to go anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Last time I tried this, it was bad. So you got 40 years judgment. Now you got 40 more years judgment. And now he goes. So you got to go through some stuff. It doesn't mean you can't live for God, but you cannot just promote novices. You cannot just come in and go, I'm on milk, I'm hungry, and let's go. You've got to be able to temper people back without hurting them and say, wait a minute, let's learn some stuff. Let's get trained. Let's mature in this, and let's learn how to go out and be trained because God uses trials. And we were just talking about it before, um, for, for Bible study. What was that you said? You asked me a question about it. Trials and testing. She said, oh, things have been breaking. And I said, well, God's not punishing us. It's just like in school. You know, in school, the teacher lectures you all week long, and then they say, put your books away. There's going to be a test. And then now there's a test to see if you've learned what you went through and what he's been showing you and what you're growing in. And I've been reading, and I've seen how faithful God was in here, and his character doesn't change. Can I trust him now when there's an open book test? And if you fail, it doesn't mean he kicks you out of heaven. It just means you find out where your heart's at. Deuteronomy 8, 2, these 40 years you've been led through the wilderness that you might know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Your sandals didn't wear out. Nothing. You needed nothing. And he brought them through it. And he wants to teach us because he wants us to see our hearts. And that's what's going on again here. Our hearts, our minds. This might come out. I've got a whole bunch of texts to go to. We better get moving. So listen, what's exalting itself in your life against the knowledge of God? See, if you put anything else first and say, well, this is, and then, and yeah, but I know that God said, but the doctor said. I know that God said, but my boss said. I know that God said, but my wife said, but my husband said. Listen, don't exalt things above God. He knows. But you need to have that relationship. He's not here to destroy us. If he was going to destroy us, he'd have never died for us. He's here to save us and to deliver us from the lies. And the only way to have that and live in that is with the truth. Have a relationship. Truth is a person. And so we need to know the knowledge of God so we can partake of that nature. Bringing every thought. We're still in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 10. 5b, the second part of the verse, bringing every thought, right? 
into captivity to the obedience of Christ, to the obedience of truth. So think about it. You think something. I know they were talking about me. And you go, wait a minute. Before I react to that, let me take that thought captive. Let me take it captive because that's what the Word of God does. It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's able to, to discern, uh, or excuse me, to divide uh, the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner. It's a judge of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now let me just decide. Even if they did say that about me, how should I react? Should I give them grace and mercy? Should I overlook a transgression? Should I pray for them? Should I say, wait a minute, maybe that is me. Maybe I should pray about what they said about me. Maybe I need to correct that. But you take the thought captive so that it obeys what Christ or what the truth is. That's how you fight warfare. You don't just rush in like I do where angels fear to tread and there I am. So you got to understand that you're taking thoughts captive and you're making them obedient to Christ. That's the way we win. That's the way our weapons are used. Obedience is what we're here for. See, the problem was we couldn't obey. Remember in the wilderness? Moses is up on the mount. All the people said, we'll obey, we'll do it. So Moses went up to get the contracts. Before he even come back down, they rose up to play. So he comes down and he's mad. He throws down the tablets and breaks them. He wasn't supposed to do that. I mean, he was an angry man. But he was God's man, and he was drawn out, and he was trying to do, the Bible says he was the humblest man ever. And that's because when he heard God's word, he obeyed it. That's what this is about, people. It's about obedience. I don't care what anybody says. So Christ comes those years later. What does he do? Obeys perfectly. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You get his righteousness, his perfect obedience put on your positional calendar or your positional uh, books in heaven. When books are open, you're going to say, oh, look, Greg is perfect obedience because of the blood of Jesus. So we're set free from the penalty of sin. So now we can learn to obey. So we can learn to take thoughts captive. So we can learn that the weapons of our warfare are not sidearms. I'm not telling you not to protect your house. I got guns. It's okay. But I'm saying you can't fight a spiritual battle shooting at spirits, shooting at lies. You can't shoot lies. But you can take them captive and say, wait a minute, I'm going to follow the truth. Truth is a person. It's Jesus. He's already done all this for me. I'm going to surrender to it and tell other people about it. So you want to take them captive. It's all about obedience. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, Jesus said, after he rose again, talking to the boys before he left. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey. King James, observe. But it means to obey all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's the, the truth mixed with the Holy Spirit gives you the power to obey truth, to stand in the face of lies, to stand up in a crowd when everybody else is following a lie and say, that's not true. That's not right. But you have to, you have to stand for it and trust that God's going to do it with your shield of faith. That's what salvation is. It's a helmet that guards your heart and mind. Mind. In Christ Jesus. 
and you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and then you begin to pray because you want to be dependent upon God and His truth. Uh, six, 2 Corinthians 10, 6. And being ready, are you ready? To punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So you keep punishing the disobedience. No, 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 no. It's not like you're going to get spanking. No, you let God take you to the woodshed. You say, yes, Lord. You go, that's not right. You, you do like my first Bible study. You look at me and you go, no, no, no. And you're, and you're continuing to weigh it with truth and saying no to the disobedience in your life. And you don't become sinless, but you do sin less as you grow and you run this race and you keep moving. Um, and then again, verse 7 here. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? I just wanted to do that because Paul is always trying to tell us, quit looking at the physical and get into the spiritual. Understand who Christ is. And then he's just defending himself because they've been talking bad about him. And so he says, don't look at my little short, stocky, chubby frame. Because that's what they would say is that, oh, in appearance, he's like weak. But when his words are strong, that's because it's about the word of Christ. That's the power. So let's look back at our text. So be careful with the weapons, not guns. First Peter 4. Man, we're never going to get anywhere this, at this rate. That was a lot, wasn't it? So let's look. Um, I'm in the wrong place. First Peter 4. Arm yourself also with the same mind. Think we'll ever get to verse 7? What mind? The mind that Christ had. Put on the mind of Christ. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You don't look at sin the same way anymore when you're suffering for Christ. Not suffering. Don't, you bring on suffering on your own self because you're standing out there yelling at a bunch of heathens and you didn't understand that you wasn't supposed to be doing that. Then you might suffer a little bit because of your own flesh, your own works. You, you're thinking, I want to make a name for myself, so I'm going to go out here and do this. Listen, be careful with that. You want to be led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Verse 2. That, the, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. This is the mind. Finding out what the will of God is. Remember over in uh, Ephesians 5? Um. Uh, 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 Arise from the dead, awake from your sleep, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly. That's as exactly as possible, the way you know how. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Finding out what the will of the Lord is. That's the mind. This is the mind. Finding out what the will of the Lord is. Christ said, it's, Behold, it is written in the volume of the book, I have come to do thy will, O God. And that's what we need to know. What is the will of God for my life? And if you read the Bible, it'll be your sanctification, which means killing the lie and growing in the truth. It means punishing all disobedience with obedience, learning how to obey God and follow God. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. Because we say we know Christ. I'm going to keep moving because we're going to get in trouble if I, we're never going to get through what I wanted to look at. 
but we're not living the same way, chasing the lust or the desires of what men are chasing. We're looking for the will of God in our lives. For we have spent, look what he says as a testimony. Now listen, this, this is, we're going to see Peter in a minute. This is Peter. Okay, think about it. This is the three-time guy that washed his feet in his own mouth. This is Peter. Or Simon Bar-Jonah, right? He can't help but think it. Simon means herd and Bar is son of Jonah and Jonah means dove, right? When you hear, you become a son of the dove. You're led by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, that's what he says to him when he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not show you this, but my Father in heaven. That's how you learn spiritual truth is from the Spirit of God. But make sure that you went through it. You can't just puff up in knowledge. Where am I? Verse 3. For we have spent enough, listen, enough, enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, the unsaved, the world, the secular, the Tower of Babel. We've spent enough of our time doing that. We should be doing the will of God now. If we're truly saved, this is supposed to be the church. But the church is still doing the will of the Gentiles. The church, I mean, I don't know if you know, but you go out there and look anywhere in the world and they go, we're Christians, but well, why are you listening to Babylon then? Why are you following the systems of the world? Why are you fighting the physical battle? Why are you not telling people about Jesus? If you really are a child of God, shouldn't you be promoting your father? Shouldn't you be promoting your husband? Shouldn't you make him look large by lifting him up high? Why are you lifting up your bank account? Why are you lifting up your job promotion? Why are you lifting up your PhD, your permanent head damage? Why are you not lifting up Jesus? Because we've been taken captive to do the devil's will. And we don't understand that the Lord died for us. And he suffered in the flesh so that we could be made alive in the spirit. And he says, we spent enough, 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 I said. In doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked, that's how you live, peripateo, your general walk, in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation. It's a, uh, uh, the flood of evil of Noah's days, speaking evil of you. Think about that for a minute. When you stop doing those things with them, you're not speaking up, but you're not hanging out with those who do anymore. Listen. See that? Now they're talking bad about you because you're not coming and drinking with them. You're not coming and party with them. You're not chasing the world with them and living like a Gentile. So they just speak evil of you. You might as well talk about Jesus. They're going to speak evil of you just for not condoning and tolerating and lifting up and celebrating their lives. They're already going to talk bad about you. So why not speak the truth to them in love and let it penetrate their consciousness and let them deal with God instead of you? Look what he says, verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The quick and the dead. Is it the King James? Is it the quick and the dead? And they, or excuse me, uh, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but living according to God in the spirit. Isn't that crazy? 
Now, I believe that verse is talking about something related to verse 20 up in chapter 3, where he went and preached captive to the captivities of the spirits of demons that were in the abyss, but he also went and preached to the Old Testament saints at Abraham's bosom that were already dead, but they looked forward to the Messiah coming, and he went and preached to them and told them that he was the Messiah, that he was the truth, and they were dead, yet alive in the spirit at Abraham's bosom, and then some of them got up and walked around after Jesus did. So I believe he let them know it's finished. The same way he let us know. But they were already dead. They were Old Testament saints at Abraham's bosom where they were kept waiting for the Messiah to come. And I believe he told them, hey, I am he. I'm what you guys look forward to. You believe God and it was accounted to you for righteousness? I came and died. Now your righteousness is fulfilled. I believe that's what that verse means. And that's why he says, that's verse 6, right? Even the dead of the Old Testament are saved by Christ. And then the number of man is six. Seven, he says, but the end of all things. Now that reaches a spot. That doesn't mean like, oh my goodness, annihilation. Everything's going to stop. No, no, no. The, the word means that it, it's a set and definite point or goal. Something that's aimed at in the limit. That's what it's saying right here. But the end of all things is at hand. It's getting ready to happen. Uh, it's approaching is what he's saying here. Well, so, therefore, anytime it's a therefore, the end is coming, guys and gals. There's got to be an end. Okay, if you believe the Bible, God has set an end. He set a time where he will judge. Paul talks about it in Acts 17. He's going to judge one day. He's put up with ignorance for so long, but one day he's, he's going to judge, and he's given proof to all of this by the man that he rose from the grave, the resurrection from the dead. He's given that. That's what Acts 17 talks about. I paraphrased a little bit. Um, so look at this. What are we supposed to do? Be sober. That's the King James. Sober? Yeah, because people are running around drunk. People are running around drunk. You say, well, they're not drunk, Greg. Yes, they are. They're drunk with their self. They're drunk with their job. They're drunk with everything that this world has to offer instead of being sober-minded about the will of God. Instead of being sober-minded about the will of the God, they've been told that all they have to do is say a prayer and that everything will be taken care of and you get to go to heaven. The biggest lie ever told to the church was all you had to do is say one prayer. You don't see it anywhere in the Bible. You don't see it anywhere in the lives of the people of the Bible. If all you had to say was one prayer, why didn't Jesus go, wah, and say one prayer and everybody would say, why didn't he just say one prayer? Why did he have to die on a cross and suffer in the flesh so that we could be made alive in the spirit? If all you had to do is say one prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. I think if you believe in Christ, it comes out in your works. That's next week's verse, though. That's next week's verse. That's why I don't know if I'm starting yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm having fun with topicals, but I want to bring the whole Bible into my topical message, okay? And line it out and show the commentary of the Bible that tells us these same things. So be sober, serious in the New King James, uh, but it means to be of a sound mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. See, so if the spirit is in us and leading us, we have a sound mind. We don't have to be drunk. We don't have to be disorderly. We don't have to keep living in a way like, oh, what do I do now? 
we can actually know the will of God. We can find out what the will of God is. It's written in this word. We can be led by the spirit of God. Uh, it means to be in your right mind, not in your left mind, in your right mind, left-handed people. Uh, it's a joke. It's a joke. My wife's not here, but she would have loved it. We argued about it all the time. But it means soberly. Listen, not carried away with emotions, not carried away with politics, not carried away uh, with patriotism. I'm not against any of those things. If you want to vote, if you want to be an American, be that. But my citizenship is in heaven because of who my father is and who my betrothed is. My citizenship. And I want to learn the customs of heaven. I want to learn the language of heaven. It's love. It's truth. It's justice. It's a fair balance of weight and scales. So he says to be sober-minded. Circumspect is the word for watchful there. Okay, but let, let me just show you this really quick. Go over to Matthew 16. We just read this too, and I was like, oh my goodness, this blows me away. So think about this. You guys all know this text. So it's, it's Jesus and Peter. Here's Peter that's writing to us, telling us how we need to be sober-minded. He got there. When did he get there? Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit come upon him. You guys there? Matthew 16, let's do 21. See, because look, listen to Jesus. Yours is in red if you have a red letter. Matthew 16, 21. Now listen, Peter's just had his great revelation Simon Bar-Jonah, from the Holy Spirit, God told him, and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not told you this, but my Father who is in heaven. I'm paraphrasing. I'm not looking at it. Listen. But then in 21, truth of what's going to happen next, Jesus begins to tell him. Listen, God's talking to us now. God's speaking to us now. The end of all things, suffering might come. Some serious suffering to the church could come any day now. Because death culture wants to kill any voice of God. Death culture wants to kill any truth. So what do they do? They saturate everything with AI, with artificial intelligence. They make it up. They make up some intelligent stuff. People get on there. They want to feel good about themselves. They want to be highly esteemed. And they see somebody that's sipping a latte and, and saying something that they think is wise. And they don't know God. So they believe their earthly, central demonic wisdom. And then they repeat it. They repost it. They look at it. And they go, I am so smart because I seen that that was true. And it's a lie completely. It's earthly, central demonic wisdom that leads to death. And people think they're smart because they can repeat it. Listen to me really, really, really seriously. Jesus is telling them what's going to happen next. Watch this, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, teaching peace, and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. Notice he didn't say from the Roman government. You know, when they're hiding in the upper, when they're hiding later, it's not because they're hiding from the Roman government. They're hiding from the religious people, the religious people. The ones that are supposed to be teaching them and training them and protecting them have become apostate. And if you don't follow their religious apostasy, then they're mad at you. 
and they want to kill you. That's how Saul of Tarsus got saved. Paul, he was following, and then he met Jesus as one born out of due time. And he's a picture of us. We're all born out of due time. We're all born that way. We have a road to Damascus, and we are running down and going, man, I'm so smart. I'm repeating AI, and I got some stuff going on, but I got no experience. I just got a bunch of knowledge, and bam, why are you kicking against the goats? God's trying to save you, and you're fighting God. And we get saved, and we were born out of due time. But look here. He's trying to help them to understand what's going to happen next, and he's going to be killed and raised on the third day. He told them clearly what's going to happen. Betrayed, mocked, beaten, killed, raised on the third day. And then what happened, Greg? Next verse, 22. Then Peter took him aside. Remember, we're talking about Peter, the rock little stone he takes jesus aside and begins to rebuke him do you know what rebuke is he's correcting god saying far be it from you lord kurios supreme of authority far be it from you god this shall not happen to you wait a minute for this purpose i came so what does jesus say to him what does the mind what does god say but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Listen. Listen to me clearly. Many of the people in the church today, the Lord is saying, Get behind me, Satan. And they think they're the church. They think they're doing the will of God. And he's saying to them, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Look what he says. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful. There it is. You do not savorist, King James. Think about that. If you're savoring something and you're going, mm, this tastes good. Taste and see that the Lord is good and his will is good. And my mind should be focused upon his will, not the Gentiles' will, not the secular world will, not the physical world. Look what he's doing. He says, you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Let me ask you a question here. What are you mindful of today? Are you looking for, are you asking the Holy Spirit what the will of the Lord is? Are we searching for the mind of God, or are we continuing to walk in self, yet we say we're saved? That's what he's saying to, to Peter. You're not even mindful. I just told you I'm going to go and die and raise again on the third day. Do you want to rebuke the word of God? You want to rebuke the truth of God? The truth that is the only thing that's going to save you from the lie? So now you want to stay in the lie, and you want to rebuke God. And that's the way most of the church is living today. Oh, you're just a Jesus freak. Oh, that ain't true. No, that's too deep, Greg. That's too much. You got to quit. But we're not surrendering to God, or we would be concerned about the will of God. And God's general will is that none would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then if you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, his will is your sanctification. And then he's going to get you across the finish line if he has to spank your butt or not, because he's a good father. He's not worried about our little fickle emotions, although he loves us completely. He also knows how to train us in righteousness. He also knows what it takes to come into our life that we need to suffer in the flesh so that we'll be made alive in the spirit and we'll cry out to him. Because we've borne the image of the man of dust, we should also bear the image of the heavenly man. So, I just wanted you to see that. We read it, and I thought, oh, my goodness, look where his mind is at. Where's your mind at? Listen, this is not rebuke. This is, uh, this is the, the, God's word. It does rebuke, 
God's word is used for that, but it's also used for correction and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped and complete, ready for every good work. Right? So it's not like, oh my goodness, I've just been doing stuff so wrong. No, it's like wake up and smell the coffee. It's good to get awake because you can only be awake by the Holy Spirit. You can only hear truth, receive truth, and let it be planted in your heart if the Holy Spirit is working in your life. If the Holy Spirit's not working in your life, it doesn't matter. You're like, I ain't mindful. That ain't me. He ain't talking about me. I don't even know what he's talking about. But listen, if you're a Christian, I'm talking about all of us. Because all of us can fall asleep. Think about it. Even Abraham, in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God it was accounted to him for righteousness. You can't turn the page and he's already fallen asleep while God's making a covenant. He fell asleep in the chair. The vultures are coming down, the birds in the air, and he's like, stay awake, rise and pray, Peter. No, I'm sleeping here. That's why he says, arise from the dead, awake from your sleep, and Christ will give you light. The truth. Listen, we need to wake up and understand that Christ already did it all for us. He's not expecting us to run a marathon tomorrow. He wants us to just surrender to him and begin to grow, to begin to get into the word of God and, and punish all disobedience and begin to do the right thing. And part of punishing disobedience is just saying, I confess it, Lord, it was wrong. Forgive me. And he washes and cleanses you. He keeps the sanctification going. The problem is with the people that think they're already okay. There's no reason for me to be, I'm there. I already arrived. Leave me alone. I got this figured out. I already got my 401k. I got my house. I got my life planned. I'm not changing anything. Not even if God said to change it. Anyway, back in our text, where are we at? So he says this mind. This is the mind we're talking about right here. Uh, it's not a mind of what the men are doing. It's not a mind of what the world is doing. No matter what they do in the world, listen, God's already got this. He bought you with his blood. No matter what the world is doing, he already knew where you was going to be today. He already knew what you were going to be doing. He already knows where you're at. He loves you with a never-ending love. In fact, that's that's verse, set, or verse 8 there, the number of new beginnings. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's, that's a new beginning. That's love. Love incarnate come down and covered a multitude of sins. Anybody that wants to come and surrender, he covered their sins completely. The whole world. He became our covering, our husbandman. But you have to surrender to him. And by the way, I was counting them the other day. I go, wow. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love. See, because God puts his seed in us. He's love. And then there's eight characteristics. The number of new beginning. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Eight fruits. That's insane to me. Anyway, back on our text. So be sober and watchful. What are you looking for? Watchful. Watch, King James. Listen, this means to abstain from wine. This is what watch means. To abstain from wine, to keep sober, to be discreet, and to watch. And I abstain in the 1828 Noah Webster's Dictionary. Don't use the new dictionary because might, they might change it. 
linguistics, the science of words. They change them constantly because the devil doesn't want us to understand what God meant by his word. So they constantly change them. It's a moving target. It's confusion. It's a lie. But God meant and specifically meant what he said. He wasn't trying to twist it. He's not trying to hide it. So anyway, uh, to abstain means to keep from. A, uh, a restraint upon the passions uh, of our appetites. So he says abstain. As you're watching, so you're, you're sober, you're serious-minded, and then you're also abstaining from the things that make you drunk. The devil knows what makes you drunk. See, and if you remember methe, or, uh, 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 yeah, methe is the word for drunkard, but it means to be habitually intoxicated with anything. See, and we just take it because in our culture we see people drinking and we've had prohibition and we've had all these crazy things where people are dying and, and we make it out to be booze. Listen, we're spiritual people. You can be drunk in what your desires are chasing. It doesn't have to be liquor at all. I'm not trying to take away from liquor. I don't believe we should drink. And I've heard many pastors today say, well, as long as you're uh, abstaining from your fleshly desires and you're taking care of your gratifications, you can drink with liberality. As long as you don't do anything bad, stay away from it. There's nothing good that comes from it. It used to be called spirits. It's called sin taxes by the very government that we're talking about. It's the church that kills themselves. Who killed Jesus? It was the Jewish people that said, crucify him. But really, he came to die for us. He just knew what they were going to do. So his love held him to the cross. But they're the ones that turned him over to the Roman government. They'll probably turn us over to the government. We're not with those Christians. They're too radical. They teach the word of God. We're okay with what you're doing. We'll tolerate it. Can we get some money? We want to build a bigger Tower of Babel. I'm sorry. I'm being facetious. It's actually sad as can be. It's sad as can be when truth has been revealed to every heart on the planet. And we still desire to live as Gentiles live. When we can be set free. That should make us mourn over our sin. The good news is though, he's our hope. He's our anchor. He loves us, and there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, not according to the old man. We've had enough of this, it says here. So be serious. Be watchful in your prayers. That's, it means worship or oratory chapel. Uh, prayer is a place where we start. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer to all nations. Because if you're serious in your prayers, God's the one that can change things around you. Think about it for a minute. Prayer is the number one thing to do. Now, we got word, prayer, and fellowship as our three-legged stools, but listen to me. Prayer is the number one place of dependency upon God. You're taking time out of your busy life. You're saying, no, I'm going to get up. I'm going to give my first fruit to God. And I'm going to sit down, and these people are important. My life's important. Things are important. And I'm going to go to God with them because I don't know what he wants to do. He had Nehemiah pull people's beards out because they weren't. He said, put away your foreign wives and pull their beards out. How could you live like this for God? I'm just saying, same God still. 
I don't want none of that God of the Old Testament. He's mean. No, it's the same God. He loves us. I'm just saying, I don't know. I'm the mean pastor. That's what they say about stuff. Love, love, love. He does say above all things, have love, fervent love. But love tells the truth. Love came down and said, hey, you guys aren't doing it right. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And he told the truth. What did they do? They killed him. Because he was telling the truth. Where did you get your authority? You didn't go to Hebrew High. We didn't tell you what to say. And that makes people mad that they can't control you. Look around. Look what's going on. The control of Babylon. The spirit of Antichrist. People are delusional. They don't want you to think for yourself. They get mad at you if you think for yourself. So prayer. Are you being watchful in prayer? Listen, you want to get in the Word because you need to know who you're praying to and you need to see how He is and His character, His nature, and His will and His authority. It never changes. It's always the same. He's always been doing the same thing. He wants a people that will freely choose Him. Freely choose Him because they see His great love for us. And then if we freely choose Him, then He'll put His love in us and He'll make us like Him and prepare us for the wedding supper of the Lamb in heaven. We get to walk down the aisle with Him. Isn't that amazing? It's the same thing he was doing when he brought the law. What did he do? He rescued these people. He let them go down to Egypt to be saved because there was a famine in the land. But they were separated in Goshen, which means drawing near. And then when he brought them up out and they go out into the wilderness, all he wanted was a nation of priests, of people that would be with him and they would represent him and would tell people about him. And they would go, wow, their God is with them. They're, he's in their midst. And when they began to, to raise up and play, what did he do? He had to move his tabernacle of meeting outside of them. But then he said, okay, I'll give you this law, these ceremonial laws, these sacrificial laws, and then I can stay in your midst. It'll be a covering, a kofar, to cover so I don't have to look at that sin until Christ comes who will take away the sins of the world. He'll pay for them all. He'll satisfy my righteous indignation against sin, my wrath against sin that has to be poured out. And if you believe that, Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you're saved from the wrath of God. No double jeopardy. He can't punish you again for any sin. But that's not a cloak for lasciviousness. That's not an excuse to go out and roll in sin and wallow in it. We're supposed to follow, not wallow. So we get set free for freedom's sake so that we can follow Christ and learn to be obedient as his spirit trains us and teaches us and washes us and cleanses us and changes our desires. Okay, go over to, um, we'll close this up a little bit. Go over to James. Just back up a few pages. James 5. Again, 6, 7, and 8 we can look at. Number of men. James is about, oh, I don't know, four pages back maybe. James, old camel knees. Jesus' brother. I've seen a 
Yeah, I seen I was doing a flood today. Oh my goodness, this baby was 10 months old and he was like this big. I mean, his name was Jacob. And I go, you know that Jacob is is, is uh, uh, Hebrew, but the, but the Greek is James. And she's like, what? We were going to name him James and we changed it to Jacob. I said, yeah, James is the, is the Greek for Jacob. It's pretty cool to know that. Nice family. Anyway, so if you read this, chapter 5 is really talking about the rich oppressing those that are that have nothing and, and you get to verse 6 and it says you have condemned you have murdered the just he does not resist you and so that's the, what man does right man condemns and murders the just and he does not resist then verse 7 says this this is me and you this is again James saying the same thing therefore the rich is, is, is oppressing, trying to take over. And, and they're doing it for their money. They're useful in it. They're doing it for their kingdom. They're doing it for their power. They think they're going to get somewhere. Some of them, I think, are pure devil worshipers. But most of them don't know what they're doing. They think they're genuinely leading a bunch of peons that don't know nothing. And, and, and they need to be helped in order to be able to take care of themselves because they don't even know how to grow carrots. You know, or whatever it is you want to fill in the blank. They've got to tell us what to do. And they don't know that they're underneath the sway of the wicked one and that they're building a tower of Babel and they want to force you to make brick without straw. So you get to verse 7 and it says, Therefore, here we are, be patient, brethren, until what? The coming of the Lord. See, suffering's coming. There's oppression. There's going to be pain. There's going to be things that don't line up right. We're not trying to gain treasures down here. Now, we're supposed to, I mean, there's, there's teachings that they say, you know, you're supposed to be wise stewards with God's stuff. I'm not talking about just go, ah, oh, just throw it all away. We just hate prosperity. That's not what I'm talking about. But your heart can't be tied to it. If your heart is tied to it, you'll love one and hate the other. And I guarantee you that the, the, the sin nature will love the flesh. The sin nature will love what you see. It's easier to grasp than it is to surrender to a spiritual God. So he says, therefore, brethren, be patient. Not patience. It means to be long-spirited, forbearing, long-suffering. We're running a race. We're learning endurance as we go through this race. We're learning that it's okay to suffer and go through some things because in that experience, it's going to make us stronger. So be patient until when? The coming of the Lord. He's promised he's coming. He's going to say it twice here. Be patient. He's coming. He's coming. See, and then he gives this analogy. See how the farmer waits. The word waits here means, it, it means um, to accept from some source or have an expectation that there's a source coming. See, because a farmer can put all the seed in the ground that he wants. It's God that gives the increase. I mean, that seed's got to die, just like Christ did when he went in the ground. He died, and then because he died, and then he sprouted up as the first fruits, and we see that first fruits, now we can come to salvation because we see the first fruits. We see that fruit grows out of dying, that life comes, and that's what God's doing. So the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He does his work, he plants it, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rains. He knows they have to come. And this is that culture, the early and the latter rains. 
two different harvests. And then he says this, and for the number of new beginnings, eight, you also be patient. Establish your heart. Listen, establish. Set it fast. Turn it resolutely toward God. You don't want to have the mind of the world. You want to have the mind of Christ. The mind of what God is doing on the planet. The mind of what God is doing in your life. The mind of what he's called you for. What's my gifts? What's my talents? What's my abilities? Only the Holy Spirit can show you that. What am I supposed to be doing, Lord? Only God can lead you in that. I would tell you, do the natural. You'll wake up doing the supernatural. I would tell you, do the natural, and God will do supernatural with your life. But if you seek to be a, a, a leader, you'll always be out of a job. You look to be a servant, you'll never be out of a job. There's always something to do. There's always somebody that needs to hear. There's always somebody to help. There's always somebody that God can use you to help and be his hands and his feet. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Listen to me. He's coming soon. But will we be watching and waiting? Will we be found working? Will we be found faithful? The only thing that's required of us is faithfulness. And that's a fruit of the Spirit. You cannot be faithful to God's calling on your life to do the will of God without the Spirit of God. And a relationship with the Spirit of God. Hearing what the Spirit would say to the church not what everything else says the Gentiles and their American dream and all their plans and everything that they're doing it leads us away onto some rabbit trail that never delivers anything but death I was going to take you over into Hebrews but I'm not going to go there but listen to it. we were saying earlier about apostasy I will not forget you the entire book of Hebrews is written because of a people walking away from God. The Hebrews, because they thought they were going to lose their place in the synagogues, were all going, he's writing, Paul's writing them, I believe Paul wrote it, to convince them that there's no other Savior coming. And if you walk away from Christ and you apostatize from him and you fall away from the faith and you stop listening to him and his will and, and being led by his spirit, there's nobody else to come and save you. And you'll re-crucify the Lord of glory. That's how you get to chapter 6, where Paul has taught them well, and they've learned about, about baptism and about resurrection. And he even calls those elementary principles. They're simple things. And yet we've let men confuse it so bad because we're afraid we're being left out of the world. The world is not our home. We've had enough of this Gentile living, enough of the lewdness, enough, enough, I say. And now we want the life of the Spirit. So we want to hear what God says, and we want to learn His truth and stop looking at what the world does. And he writes the whole letter. I mean, it's an amazing book, the book of Hebrews, to keep them from going back to their religion, back to the ones that led them to crucify Christ, back to the same people that says, We'll take your name. We'll cancel you. We'll kill you. If you keep living for Jesus, that's what they said. They told him when the blind man got healed. Anybody that, that, that said Jesus was the Christ or followed him, they were going to kick him out of the synagogue. Isn't that, what, isn't that what cancel culture is? 
They'll kick you out of the world. It's really death culture that started back in the garden. Did God really say? What's the voice of God saying to you today? What are you mindful of? What are you living for? How's your prayer life? Usually your prayer life will dictate your entire Christian life. Because if you start trusting God and praying to God and getting alone before God, insulting your intelligence to be still before a holy God because you know he's there and that he's concerned and he's involved with the affairs of man, and you sit and pray, you go, who is this guy that I'm, and you begin to study the word of God. And then you'll want to go and have fellowship with other people and tell them what God is doing in your prayer life, in your word life. And you'll want to share the things that he reveals as he uncovers them for you. And it changes your life. You'll cease from sin the same way. We all sin. You can't escape it. We have this flesh here. But you know what James says, where we were just at? James, his brother, camel knees. If you could tame the tongue, you'd be a perfect man. So that means in action, you can actually stop. If you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled, you can actually stop the actions, but it's what we talk about. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says you could be a perfect man if you could tame the tongue. Prayer and the word and fellowship tames the whole life. You don't sin the same way anymore. You cease from sin. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Next week, I almost forgot, didn't I? Next week, let's go over to Titus. Ooh, Titus. Chapter, I, see, I was, I was uh, uh, um, fighting back and forth, but we're going to do 116. I almost did 2-1, but we're going to do Titus 116. Again, all the T's are in alphabetical order, so you can remember them that way. <coughs> uh, so Thessalonians and then uh, Timothy, then Titus is the last of the T's. So we go to Titus chapter 1, verse 16, and it's an amazing verse that I was reminded of this week. Thessalonians, first and second, first and second Timothy, Titus, who's on the island of Crete. Right? Paul left him there to set things in order. It means to reset broken bones, set things in order in the church. And look at uh, 116. I almost went to 2 1 so that we could actually cover 116, but let's just memorize it. It's a little, got some big words in it. Abom abominable, disobedient, <laughs> disqualified. That's some big words there. Notice what it says ADD. Abominable, disobedient, and disqualified. ADD. So he says this, 116. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. Okay, that's the verse, Titus 1.16. Now listen, do some homework. That word profess is the same word for confess. It's used in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It's used in John 1, 9, or 1 John 1, 9. When you confess, you actually agree to profess. So the words, the professing is the problem. We all want to confess him, but notice it says they profess to know him. He, I mean, is this the people he's going to say? 
be away from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness, wickedness. Think about it. This is very serious stuff. And, and the enemy, he joined the church and he wants to lead us in some apostate religion and, and thinking we're okay when we really need to see what God said. But he wants to keep us from seeing what God said and he wants us to listen to some watered-down gospel teaching that has nothing to do with what the actual Word of God says. And that's the devil's character. That's what he did with Eve. Did God really say, come on, he's just holding out on you. He knows that in the day that you eat, you will be wise like him. You'll be like him. 99% truth, 1% lie. Was true. Her eyes were open. She did know the difference between good and evil after eating of the fruit. Then she gave it to her husband and he ate. But don't forget, we're that, we're that woman. It's a picture of everybody that's disobedient. God allowed that other voice to be introduced into the garden so that we would have a free will choice. And you have it today still. Do you want to hear his voice or do you want to hear the other one? The other one is Babylon in confusion. There's a bunch of voices. But really it's only one voice that says no to God. It's exalted against the knowledge of God. And it wants to confuse you so that you'll keep following all the other isms, the synagogues of Satan, instead of listening to the still small voice and the spirit leading you in life and setting you free by truth. That's amazing to me. And it's a lifetime that we will be learning truth. A lifetime. So Titus 1.16 next week. Read it. Pray about it. Memorize it. We'll give you a chance to see it come out of your mouth next week uh, in, in the front of people who love you and are involved in that way. Maybe you can share it with somebody in the streets and it won't be as difficult to say it to them because you've practiced it in front of people who love you and you'll know that you can actually memorize it. Father, thank you for your word and we pray, Lord, uh, uh, that you pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Uh, none righteous, no, not one, Lord. And, and none of us have arrived any place, but we are the people of your pasture, the sheep of your pasture. And we want to follow you in and out. And we want to be fed by you. And Lord, we want to grow. And, and, and whether it's milk or meat, Lord, we want to go. And we want to be those that would tell others. So uh, change us, Lord, completely. Remind us as we go out of this building that the enemy wants to steal the truth that we've learned uh, and, and take it somewhere so that we just keep doing the same thing we've always done. But Lord, we've met with you. And since we know we've met with you, we know that you're going to take us onward and upward in Christ Jesus. Pour out your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.